unbound. It is the ideal of the the advancement of something, the spread of something, the, the, a movement, if you will. And, um, you know, I, I've been watching, the older I get, the more I pay attention to my grass. Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're young, um, if you're young, you don't understand it yet. You know, if you're in your 20s, you don't understand it because I, did, I didn't pay attention to my grass at 20. Um, but I pay a lot more attention to it for some weird reason at 40. I think it's just a switch that comes on. And so I'm, all, I'm always out there looking at it. I'm always doing stuff. You know, I'm taking, taking weed and feed now. I, I, I didn't really care about weed and feed, but I, I have weed and feed that I spread out in the grass, and then I, then I wait for it to work, right? <laughs> it hasn't been working. It hasn't been working this year. I've been... You know, I've been putting weed and feed out there. The first time I went out there with my weed and feed, I went out early March. And I was like, okay, I got on top of it. I'm in the early spring season. This is when they tell you you're supposed to do it. So I went out there, boom, and I did my weed and feed thing. And then I was like, okay, two weeks later, wait, why are these weeds here? Why is this, why is this grass still growing? Why is, this, why is the grass that I want to grow not growing and the grass that I don't want to grow growing all over the place? And so I, I went and I got some more stuff, some, you know, maybe, maybe this is more heavy duty. And I, I put that in and I went and spread it that. Matter of fact, you know, my wife was like, why are you so sweaty? You're about to go to work. And I, I got up that morning right before work to go spread it. That's how important I thought it was, right? And so I went and I did that, spread it, and, and, and still... Weeks later, the weeds are still growing. And I'm like, man, I, 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 I give up. I thought, I thought I had figured this thing out, and I thought I had did it in the right time, in the right season. And um, my lawn guy came over, and I, and I asked him. I was like, man, I've been putting this weed and feed out like crazy, trying to get this grass in, in better shape than it's been. I was like, what's going on? And he said, man, he said, you did what you're supposed to do, but the conditions aren't right. You know, it's too cool. It's really, really cool right now. And, and he said, when it warms up, he said, when it warms up, don't worry. That, 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 all this weed that you got out here, now that, now that, you, now that you've, um, you know, put the, put the right stuff in the soil, not, when, when, it, when it warms up, the weeds will die. And so you'll be fine. You, you did what you were supposed to do. You just got to be a little patient. Wait for the right conditions. And so, and so I started thinking a little bit about the ideal of what, what a spread requires. A spread requires certain conditions. In order, in order, in order, in order to, in order to function, in order, in order to actually work. So when you talk about the ideal of unbound, the, the, this this ideal of the the spread of the kingdom of God, not just into not just in Jerusalem, but but into Judea and Samaria, the, in, into the uttermost parts of the earth, all all over the world. How did we go from um, a group of twelve? To, to, to millions upon millions upon millions through thousands and thousands of years. How did, how did we get there? What were certain conditions that, that were there in order for that to happen? God was present, of course, but he moved in certain ways in, amongst the people in order for it to happen. When you talk about the spread of God's kingdom through the gospel, there's a couple of things I think we can highlight, and I'll highlight those things this morning. The first thing is that the spread of God's kingdom through the gospel requires us to embrace persecution and suffering. This is not at all strange, by the way, for the saints centuries prior to ours. And this is not even at all strange for the saints in some places outside of the Western world in which we live in. 
This is not strange for modern-day Christians that are overseas. This is not strange for pre-modern-day Christians um, anywhere. But this is strange for modern-day Christians in the western part of the world because we've kind of got comfortable with our, with our Christian privilege, and it doesn't, it doesn't face the same persecution that other places and other times faced. And so because of that, we don't even understand or even embrace the reality that suffering is, in fact, a part of God's spread. It's how the kingdom of God advances. When you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now none of the rest dared join them because of the stigma associated with them, by the way. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So in this text, we find the people of God doing everything that you would come to expect the people of God to do on a really, really good day. The people of God are performing good works, and not just good works, but they're performing miraculous works. People are getting healed. People are being delivered from unclean. So mightily by God that that people are lining up and just hoping that his shadow might pass and, and, and cross their path in order to be healed. And they're laying their loved ones in the streets, just hoping that the shadow would touch them. So they're seeing, they're seeing folks get healed. They're seeing folks get saved. The scripture describes to us a, a season of tremendous growth in the church. People are hearing the preached word and responding to it by trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. And yet we find in this truth that good works done in the name of Jesus don't guarantee the favor of the world. Verse 17, it says, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. The life we pursue in Christ is not promised to be free of persecution. It's not promised to be free of suffering. In fact, as we see over and over and over Again, in our study of Acts, what we will come to learn is that Christians must live with the assumption of opposition. We must live with the assumption that we will be opposed. For reasons beyond our understanding, God has allowed a time for, in human history for Satan to oppose God's children. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around as a roaring or like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In other words, no Christian should be surprised by opposition, by persecution, by suffering that they face in life. However, we should not be surprised because the life that we live in Christ is a disruptive force to all of our own natural inclinations and to the systems of this world, and to the kingdom of Satan. And so that's why you shouldn't be surprised. The kingdom of God, by nature, disrupts 
your natural inclinations, what you want to do. There's going to be war within you. But then the kingdom of God also disrupts the systems of this world. And so there is going to be war, spiritual war in this world. But the kingdom of God opposes the kingdom of Satan. And so there is going to be war amongst the, uh, uh, with the enemy. Do you understand that? It's war in all those facets because the kingdom of God brings disruption in all of those ways. Therefore, you shouldn't be surprised at the enemies that oppose you, your flesh, this world, the devil. Christianity is not passive by any stretch of the imagination. It is disruptive. Remember what Jesus told Peter, if, if, if you're familiar with the passage, it's found in Matthew chapter 16. Peter is in answering a question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? What do people say? They said, hey, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah resurrected. Some say you're Jeremiah resurrected, one of the prophets possibly reincarnated. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You are the one chosen by God the Father. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church on your testimony that you, that you are Christ, that you are the son of God. I will build my church and listen, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Christ says, listen, Peter. That very statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is going to build my church. And the church of Jesus Christ, with that statement stamped on its weapons, is going to charge the very gates of hell. Now, sometimes we, we read that statement and we picture the church taking a defensive approach because we hear the gates of hell shall not prevail. And it's almost like the gates of hell are pressing in on the kingdom. But understand that it's a defensive approach. Gates aren't built for offense. Gates are built for defense. And so what it means is that the kingdom of God is advancing, pushing back the gates of hell. Pushing hell back and pushing down the gates. Why is that important? It's because the idea of Christianity just being something you can just kind of hang back and let happen is not the Christianity you see in Acts. It's a advance. It's a approach. It's a disruption. And as a result, there is opposition and suffering. Do you understand? The very nature of Christianity is an advancement of God's kingdom. Not through evil, worldly uses of power and violence, but through the powerful spread of Christ's gospel. But no matter how you slice it, and no matter how nice you are with it, it is disruptive. Which is why you must assume opposition. The apostles in this text, by performing their works, bringing healing to the physically broken, bringing salvation to the spiritually broken, are pushing against the gates of hell. Do you understand that? And thus hell is pushing back. Which leads us into verse 19. The spread of God's kingdom through the gospel may be opposed, but it won't be stopped. That's my next point. 
In verse 19, we read, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are now standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The advance of the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ was opposed by the religious leaders, but it was not stopped. You understand that? It was opposed, but it was not stopped. God literally deployed heavenly messengers at the doors of the prison to bring his people out of the prison and to escort them back to the mission field to continue preaching the gospel. So from this text, we know at least two things are true. No, number one is that, this, number one rather, is no one can stop the advancement of God's mission. The psalmist in, 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 in Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, the song that he sings is, it, it starts with this, verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst through their bonds, or let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens, listen to this, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell her the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Acts of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The psalmist says the kings of the world, the rulers of the nations, all look to set their plans against God, all look to set their plans on advancing their kingdoms and seizing his territory and making their name great and spreading their glory through the earth. But how does God respond to all of that? The Bible says he literally laughs. He laughs. He holds them in derision, which means that he openly mocks them. And mocks their plans. Why? Because God is simply unstoppable in the advancement of his agenda in the earth. As the psalmist tells us in the second chapter, the reign of the sun will be established. No one will stop it. And the worlds, and rather the in, in the words rather of the of the of the of the great alien race in Star Trek, Borg. Y'all remember the Borgs? Anybody remember what they said? Resistance is futile. You can't stop what God is doing. You can oppose what God is doing all you want. You can make your plans. You can establish how you're going to step outside of God and advance your own kingdom and advance your own agenda and, and spread your own glory until God laughs. He laughs. 
The other thing that we understand by watching or reading through Acts chapter 5 is that no one can stop the saints of God from, from being where God wants them to be. Because the apostles were in the will of God, even when they were opposed for standing for God, they were delivered by God. Fam, if you are in the will of God, you may not always end up where you want to be or even where you thought you should have been, but you will always end up where he called you to be and where he called you to be is where you always need to be. There's an old song that used to, that used to warm my soul, and it, it, it was, the lyrics were, the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. Though trials be great and the way seems hard, it is in the will of God. It may be on a mountain peak or in a valley low, but wherever, wherever, wherever it may be, if God says go, go. That's not safety in a physical sense. That's safety in a spiritual sense because the reality is sometimes the road he calls us on is hard. Sometimes the road that he calls us on may be stressful. Sometimes the road that he calls calls us on can be challenging. Sometimes the road that he calls us on can even be dangerous. But know that if you are where he wants you to be, you are exactly where you need to be. And take confidence that there is a place that he desires for you to be. Um, that, and, and, if, and if there is a, rather, if there is a place that he desires for you to be, then no force in hell can stop you from being there. He wanted them in the temple. He wanted them in the temple preaching his word. And there was no ruler, no power that could stop them from being in the temple, preaching his word. But before we move away from that part of the text, I do want to highlight another point that I believe is worth, is worth our attention, and that, and that is this. When he delivers them, where do they go? Where do they go? Back to the temple. Back to the mission field. See, I, I think there is something important for us to, to, to capture from that and to glean from that. See, our deliverance is in large part for our witness. One reason why he frees you, in other words, is in order that you may be a witness of his glory. You see it often in the Gospels, right? When Jesus delivers, those people go and do what? Tell others about Jesus. See, deliverance is not a call to silence. Deliverance is a call to proclamation. Jesus didn't deliver you. Jesus didn't heal you. Jesus didn't restore you. Jesus didn't save you for you to be quiet, for you to sit on it. He brought you out so you can go and tell somebody else. God moves in our lives in order that we may make boast in him. What has God done in your life? Or what is God doing in your life that you can use to make a bold proclamation of him or in him? Maybe it was his hand delivered from, from literally the storm last night. Maybe he spared your property. 
Maybe he didn't spare your property. Maybe he spared just your life. But either way, he is still giving you life in your limbs and giving you reason to boast in him. He's giving you reason to both praise him in private, but proclaim him in public. He doesn't deliver so that you can remain silent. He delivers so that you can speak. He is not working so loudly in your life in order for you to speak so softly of him. The apostles are living loud lives And as a result, the glory of God is on display and the kingdom is advancing even through opposition, which brings us to our next point in verse 27. We see that the spread of God's kingdom through the gospel will sometimes require civil disobedience. We see it in verse 27. It says, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter And the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We cannot or will we ever stop speaking about Jesus is what Peter is saying. They would not shy away from speaking about Jesus. Now, this is where things get a little tricky because if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll claim courage in times and moments where we really haven't been courageous. And this is what I mean. Notice in the account that they not only disobeyed the officials in their commitment to speak concerning Jesus, but they disobeyed the officials in their commitment to speak the truth concerning Jesus. We know three things about these temple officials that displeased them about these apostles. Number one, they were challenging the ideal of the resurrection. We talked about it a little bit last week. Sadducees don't even believe in the afterlife. And so it was offensive to hear them talk about this resurrected Savior that was offering a resurrected life to all that trusted him. Number two, they were challenging their role in Jesus' death. So they were, hey, don't put this man's blood on us, right? But number three, we know that they also did not see Christ as a Savior of anybody. And so those three things, the resurrection, the guilt, and salvation, that must come through. Three things these temple officials in particular want them to stop talking about and that they do not stop talking about. Notice what Peter says in verse 30 and 32, 30 through 32. He said, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Number one, resurrection. Whom you killed by hanging, hanging him on a tree. Number two, the guilt. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Number three, salvation comes through him. The one that you raised, the one that you killed, is the one that saves. And it's only through him that Israel will have forgiveness of sin and repentance. Do you see that? So every single one of those things that they were telling them to be quiet about, Peter says, listen, I got to obey God. And in fact, let me tell you how. In other words, yeah, I got to obey. Peter could have said, I got to obey God and and Jesus was real. But he doesn't do that. He says, I got to obey God. Let me tell you the particular ways in which Jesus 
was real. He comes back and he highlights the very truths that they despise. You understand? Here's what we must never forget about the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not only a matter of speaking the name of Jesus, but it is a matter of speaking the truth concerning Jesus. You understand that? See, when I empty, when I empty the truths about Jesus, then I'm no longer speaking of Jesus. I'm speaking of another, uh, another God entirely. Do you, do you understand that? Does that make sense? see if I can describe it this way. So say you run into somebody and, um, and you're trying to describe me. You say, hey man, so yeah, Brian Crawford, he's my pastor. You know, it's like, oh, okay, cool, Brian Crawford. I, I don't know, man. Um, should I know him? It's like, yeah, 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 you should know him, you should know him. And, and then you go on into, into detail describing me to them. And you, and you say, yeah, he's, uh, you know, five foot five, you know, white, um, you know, work, works, works for the city. Um, really, really, really good football player. He's like, who are you talking about? Not talking about me. The one pass that I, the one pass that was thrown to me in seventh grade, I dropped. <laughs> so, not a great football player. Not five foot five. Last time I checked, wasn't white either. So, who are you talking about? You may be talking about Brian Crawford, but you're not talking about this Brian Crawford. Does that make sense? See, the truth concerning me is just as important as my name. Does that make sense? If you give somebody my name without giving them the truth about me, then you truly have not given them me. So don't get caught in the trick of thinking it's enough to give people the name without giving them the truth. See, sometimes we can give people this ideal of Jesus, and, 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 and when they leave, what we've given them by, by, by our words is a Jesus that is a Savior for many saviors. Or sometimes we can give them a Jesus that is a Jesus that doesn't have an opinion on their sin. Or sometimes we can give them a Jesus that doesn't care for the poor or for the stranger or for the widow or for the immigrant or for the unborn. Or sometimes we can give them a Jesus that doesn't care about the mission field that he's, that he's called me to make his name known on. Or sometimes we can give them a Jesus that doesn't call me to sacrifice my comforts and my conveniences and my, my luxury for the sake of others. And you've heard people give people this Jesus. That isn't the Jesus of the Bible. So are we really giving them Jesus if we empty Jesus of all of his truth? Are you tracking with that? And so Paul does empty Jesus of his truth, even if, even if it's the truth that offends them so much that they're trying to throw them in jail and they're trying to persecute them and they're trying to even find ways to kill them. He does not empty Jesus of the truth. This is the Jesus that we're proclaiming. There's nothing I can do about it. About it. I obey God. I can't obey anybody else. Verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be some, somebody, and a number of men. 
about 400 joined him, and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up, and in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or, or, or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, and you might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. This priest spoke the truth when he didn't even really know what he was saying. You see, other folks have tried and they have failed his, his point. They've tried and they failed. So, so if this is just of man, it will be the same. They will try and they will fail. But if it's genuine, it will last. And folks, that was said 2,000 years ago. And that was said millions upon millions of disciples ago. And that was said many imprisonments ago. And that was said many deaths ago and many persecutions ago. And God has yet still sealed or stamped his seal of approval upon this movement. Because it is of God. Because Christ is King. He is Lord. He is Savior of the universe. That's why this movement is unstoppable. That's why, this, that's why the spread of his kingdom is unbound. It knows no bounds. Because God is behind it. And if God is behind it, then no man can stop it. Verse 40, as we come to the close in verse 40, we, we see the spread of God's kingdom through the gospel will continue through suffering. It says in verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Listen to that. The apostles didn't leave unscathed. You know, we love the story about the rescue, right? We love the story about the rescue. And those are the stories that we highlight. Those are the stories that we take our pink highlight, get our pink highlighter out, and we highlight them, right? Man, look at this angel. Man, look at that angel burst in that jail and get them out of there, right? But just a few verses down, there's a beat down. And somehow, most of the time, we miss that part. Our highlighter, ain't, our highlighter run out of ink by the time we get down there. But it says that they were beaten and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, I need you to understand something. Just because they beat them is only three words, it doesn't mean the beating was only impactful up to three words. The beating was impactful. The beating probably was vicious. The beating probably was gruesome. The beating probably was painful and left them wounded. For many days. It probably was enough to make some of us rethink this whole Christian thing. Right? If I'm going to catch beatings like this for saying, you know, for talking about Jesus, then maybe I'll pipe. Right? Or maybe I'll snatch the truth out of it and I'll just talk about the Jesus that everybody's good with. And I'll take the other parts of Jesus that are offensive, I'll take those parts out. But listen to what happens. Verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing. 
rejoicing. If you got your highlighters, I'll highlight that part. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The men did two things that speak to the confidence that they carried in the good news of Jesus Christ. Number one, they counted themselves worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. You know you are dealing with a group that won't be stopped when suffering brings praise instead of panic. They took this beating and walked away rejoicing that they were able to stand in and receive this beating for Jesus. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. They saw suffering as taking part in the suffering of Jesus Christ. We talked about a few weeks ago, Paul said that I want to know Christ, not just in the power of his resurrection, but I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to take part. I want to, I want to share with Jesus. And so I can't just share in the glory. If I share in the struggle, I'll know him more. That's what they're saying. If I share in the struggle, then I'll be connected to him more. I'll be associated with him more because he suffered for me. And so he's suffering in his name, I'm connected to him. It's demonstrating worth. It's demonstrating fellowship with him. It's demonstrating union with him to suffer for him. But notice the other thing that happens. They never stopped preaching. Man, after that beatdown, I'm telling you, I probably thinking about taking a few weeks off. Right? <laughs> B, you going to the temple? <laughs> nah, bro. <laughs> nah, 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 bro. I'm going to hang back for a little while. I'm going to hang back. But they never stopped preaching. They never stopped teaching. Why are they able to do this? It's because the advancement of the gospel was what mattered to them. The spread of God's glory was the primary thing in their lives. The spread of God's kingdom was center for them. Not the advancement of their name. Not the spread of their own glory. Not fame. Not wealth. Not success. Christ was. See, if all of those things become primary, when they're derailed, you'll fall off. If success is primary... When you're not successful, then you'll fall off. If fame is primary, then when you're not famous, you'll fall off. If promotion is primary, when you're not promoted, then you'll fall off. And so forth and so on. But if the glory of Christ is primary, then you will see all of those things under the banner of the glory of Christ. And you'll say, thank you, Lord, that I'm able to suffer with you. And that through my suffering, your glory may be known. You, you understand that? Christ was primary for them. And so everything else that happened, they saw under that banner. 
The apostles were acquainted with the, 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 the role of suffering in the Christian life. They tell us later in the book of Acts, as they're encouraging other saints, they tell them we must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They don't hold that back from us. They tell, they tell us that that's part of your entrance. How confident in you, how confident are you in what Christ has done in dying on the cross for your sins? Because see, suffering in Christ is one of the great tests of our confidence in what Christ has done in dying for our sins. That's where it's tested. So when you suffer, where do you when you suffer, how do you respond? Because it points to how relevant and how important and how central your salvation is. We live in a place and a time where the ideal of suffering is associated with disobedience. The ideal of suffering is associated, is associated with doing the wrong things. The ideal of, of suffering is associated with being a failure. We are told that if you're not on the top, it's because you're the problem. Or it's because you have a problem. We are told that if you are hurting, then, then maybe it's because you deserve to be hurting. What a shock to the system it may be, or it could be for some, to find out that those at the bottom of the ladder were not there because they weren't good enough, but they were there because that's where they found Jesus. As you think of our brothers and sisters overseas in the Middle East that are suffering or in Asia that are being persecuted or in remote villages that are, that are dying for the faith, that are, being, that are being cast aside by their families because they proclaim Jesus as Lord. As you think about the brothers and sisters that love Jesus faithfully down the street in your neighborhoods that are suffering in their bodies, those that may be poor and don't have a whole lot, those that may be persecuted and ridiculed and mocked and scorned, but are faithfully serving and loving Jesus. Aid them, assist them, pray for them, extend mercy to them, but never pity them as people that are less than. Because fam, the scripture tells us in the, in the book of Hebrews that those are the folks that, are, that, that, that the earth was not worthy of. The people that suffered for Christ. When it's the primary thing, then the advancement of the kingdom will happen in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world. When we cast all of the other prior priorities aside and we make our focal priority the advancement of God's kingdom, God will be with us when we go. God will empower us as we go. God will not let his movement be stopped. And so may we go with that confidence. Amen? Amen. May we speak boldly with that confidence.